Hello, my name's Ian Hyde. I'm a tax disputes partner in the Osborne Clark Tax Group. Welcome to the first in a series of tax podcasts where the Osborne Clark tax team looks at topical tax and tax disputes issues of interest to in-house tax teams and general counsel. We intend to cover not only topical tax issues, but also related commercial issues of interest to in-house tax teams. As a first and very topical podcast, I'm pleased to say I'm joined by Matt Oliver, a corporate tax partner at Osborne Clark in the UK to discuss the principal tax impacts of Brexit. Hello. Matt, it's, it's probably easier if we split the tax issues into two areas, direct taxes such as corporation tax and indirect taxes such as sales tax. And Matt, perhaps we could cover direct taxes briefly first. It seems to me Brexit doesn't really have much to say on direct taxes. Is that right? Yeah, broadly speaking, that's right. Um, although Brexit has a limited impact is probably a, a better way of putting it. And that's because these taxes are not generally governed by European law. However, over time, European law has impacted them. So, for example, there's been a bunch of case law on the fundamental freedoms that's held that certain UK and EU taxes, direct taxes are discriminatory, so rules have had to be changed. The EU's also, as we've probably seen, um, you know, started to more aggressively argue that state aid rules apply to tax measures. And also, you know, various EU directives um, have applied to tax. So, in practice, not massive changes, but in the short term, at least, the real effect of Brexit on these taxes is going to be certain limited situations, such as there may now be some withholding taxes on cross-border intergroup payments when there weren't before, although this is going to be you know, significantly impacted by UK tax treaties, which is going to get rid of many of them. And also certain cross-border mergers are going to be more difficult between UK and EU entities. And one other point uh, that, you know, there's a directive which we've all seen recently called DAC6, it's the EU's anti-avoidance disclosure regime. Um, this is retained law, but uh, it's going to effectively be substantially modified in the UK going forward. So it's only going to apply in really limited circumstances in the UK compared to the EU. Thanks. Um, but as we've said, the most important impact is going to be on direct taxes, indirect taxes, isn't it? In particular, VAT and customs duties, because these taxes are based on EU law. That's right, Ian. I mean, the UK leaving the EU is going to give rise to significant customs and VAT issues going forward. So, for example, customs declarations are now going to be required on movements of goods between the EU and the UK. And this is going to require determining the origin, the classification and customs values of goods. Customs duties are not going to imply, sorry, customs duties w will apply, sorry, on goods imported into the UK from the EU and vice versa, unless relevant rules of origin requirements um, can't be shown. And it's these difficulties with declarations and processing that's causing the supply chain issues we're hearing about at the moment. But in the future, are we going to see tariff and rules of origin type disputes on movement of goods? That's probably right. However, as you say, the first headache for importers into the UK and into the EU uh, has been and is going to be uh, working out what the position is and getting the paperwork right and in the short term at least we're going to have to see how rigid the customs authorities are going to be in enforcement of these rules. So in the longer term it's the rules of origins that's going to be the major headache for many supply chains. 
Yes, in short, uh, although the headline from the trading cooperation agreement with the EU is it's tariff free in inverted commas. This is, uh, you know, only going to apply, as I said, when rules of origin criteria are met. And this means that substantially all of the products are going to need to originate either in the EU for imports into the UK uh, or for or in the UK for imports into the EU to be tariff free. And there are really detailed rules on this, uh, setting out how the rules of origin are going to work. And it varies from product to product. There's something like 50 pages of the uh, trading cooperation agreement devoted to these rules. Uh, and the percentages of non-originating products that can be incorporated into goods varies from types of goods. It should uh, also be borne in mind, though, that UK originating for these rules does not mean that EU materials count uh, and vice versa. So this is going to be a massive headache for supply chains where goods go between the UK and the EU and back again. I mean, a highlighted example of this that's come up in the press uh, has been a well-known shop in the UK that's importing sweets into the UK from Germany and then re-exports those into the Republic of Ireland. And unless those sweets are incorporated in another product which meets the criteria, or unless they're using a specific customs regime such as transit procedures, that subsequent import into Ireland is not expected to be tariff free. So that's a real headache. And, and in the real world, of course, some people, are, well, many, many people are going to be looking to modify their supply chains in order to avoid movement of goods between the UK and the EU. And we're already seeing this with our clients uh, who may perhaps have had a warehouse in the UK in the past for UK and Irish customers and are now looking to have a separate warehouse in the EU or in Ireland for their Irish customers. So goods destined for the Republic of Ireland are not going to be imported into the UK. And it should be borne in mind here also that we're not just talking about customs duties. So the movement of goods between the UK and the EU is now going to give rise to importation VAT when that wasn't the case before. And that's not impacted by the new trade and cooperation agreements. And there's also practical uh, practical issues. Um, in particular, you're now going to need separate registrations for VAT in particular in the UK and the EU. This is more red tape. So for, uh, let's say, a tech company providing services into Europe, are they really going to have to run now two separate systems? Broadly, that's right. Um, so we look at this a lot for broadcasting, telecommunications and electronically supplied services where effectively those services are supplied where received for VAT purposes and you need to account for VAT at the local rate, either through a local VAT registration or in the EU through a single VAT registration called a MOS registration or mini one-stop shop. Now, post-Brexit, um, you're obviously going to have two registrations, the MOS registration in the EU and a separate UK registration. I think there's some new rules that have come in uh, simultaneously with the end of the Brexit transitional period, which have further impacts on cross-border supplies of goods. Can you pick that up? Yeah, that's right. So, <clears throat> first of all, um, to alleviate the new burdens on imports, which are going to arise as a result of Brexit, there are new rules in the UK, which means that import VAT can be deferred, um, providing you know, authorizations obtained to, to use that, and that's going to help cash flow. Um, and I think a number of EU jurisdictions either have or are bringing in, uh, you know, similar VAT deferment regimes. In addition, there's been long anticipated changes for the cross-border supplies of goods, and those are coming into the UK and the EU. The, the UK is implementing these from first, or has implemented these from first of January, but the EU is waiting till the first of July to implement. So the new rules are going to mean that in the UK, there's generally going to be no obligation to account for import VAT 
on sales of goods by overseas businesses where their in consignment's worth less than £135. And instead, those sellers into the UK just account for VAT on a sale in the UK under a UK VAT registration. Um, although, of course, where that sells to a business, the business customer accounts for the VAT under what's called the reverse charge. There's another rule where goods are sold on an online marketplace and where that happens, the VAT obligations often going to fall, well, mainly going to fall on the marketplace, um, which is going to have to account for VAT as though it's selling the goods. And that's going to be a, a massive compliance burden for them as they're going to have to get information to determine VAT treatment like classification, value of the goods and where the recipient's based. Uh, so as I said, similar rules are going to be introduced in the EU from the 1st of July 2021. And for those supplies, they're also going to extend the MOS registration regime I talked about before um, in a similar way to electronically supplied services. So one VAT registration is going to suffice for supplying such goods across the EU. Northern Ireland, um, I think that's even more complicated. Can we just touch on those rules, Matt, please? Yes, this comes back to the Northern Ireland Protocol, um, which was agreed a while ago. And so whilst Northern Ireland is going to be part of the customs territory of the UK, EU VAT and customs rules are going to apply there. So in broad terms, there's going to be no customs duties on movements of goods to Northern Ireland from the UK unless those goods are at risk of subsequently being moved into the EU. Um, and given the absence of customs duties on the goods, this is effectively like an additional customs relief for those goods if they don't meet the rules of origin requirements. So there would you know, be tariffs on them otherwise. Um, EU VAT law is also going to apply to Northern Ireland, um, although the collection and administration of that VAT is going to be done by the UK authorities. So the, the Northern Ireland protocol is going to bring its own challenges and businesses effectively selling into or from Northern Ireland are going to have to consider those in a lot of detail. Thanks. Um, one issue close to my heart is what effect Brexit will have on the VAT legislation as a whole. Um, any thoughts on that? Well, to begin with, existing EU law is going to be generally ret retained until such time as it changes in the UK. Um, but leaving the EU does mean that there's more flexibility. So one change that's already been made is the ab abolition of the infamous tampon tax. In other words, VAT charged on women's sanitary products, um, which was obviously, you know, controversial, but the UK couldn't change it because it was EU law. Um, Additionally, pre-existing EU case law is still going to apply, um, although the UK Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court are not going to be bound by it. So I think overall, it's going to be a gradual divergence over time between EU and UK law. Thanks. Um, we're probably running out of time here now, Matt. So, so in summary, um, where are we on the tax implications of Brexit? Well, in summary, corporate corporation tax changes are going to be limited, but they may impact cross-border transactions. VAT and customs changes are going to be more significant, and there's going to be additional VAT and customs duty costs on cross-border supply chains, and businesses are going to be looking to restructure those to minimise those costs. Uh, and in any event, the rules are going to be much more complicated, and there's going to be a, a whole lot more paperwork required. I think for most businesses who don't have large tax departments, effectively, this is going to mean they're going to have to use customs agents to ensure relevant procedures and formalities are going to be complied with. Thanks, Matt. Um, really useful. If you have any further questions on any of these issues raised by Brexit, then Osborne Clark's tax team, both in the UK and in our EU offices, uh, will be happy to provide further advice. Thank you for listening. <laughs>